As a medical professional, you're probably consumed by your work. Because of that, you likely miss out on big opportunities to protect and grow the wealth you work so hard for. Luckily, through passive real estate investing, you can place your capital in the hands of trusted syndicators who do all the legwork while you sit back and let your money work for you. Syndicators like Ascent Equity Group. Ascent Equity Group is led by three medical professionals turned full-time real estate investors who have secured a quarter of a billion dollars in assets in just three years. And their latest opportunity, Sunrise and Chandler, is open now. Sunrise and Chandler is an exciting 177-unit value-add multifamily opportunity in the affluent city of Chandler, Arizona. This Class B asset in a Class A location was secured at a significant discount and is already cash flowing out of the gate, with 89% of the units still in need of renovation. Sunrise and Chandler is close to meeting its capital raising goal and will be closing soon. So if you'd like to learn more, visit ascentequitygroup.com forward slash best deal to schedule a call. That's A-S-C-E-N-T equitygroup.com slash best deal. This opportunity is open to accredited investors only. I think being transparent with investors is the biggest thing instead of trying to hide stuff that they're probably going to eventually find out anyways. Be transparent on the front end, and I think that goes a long way with building rapport. Quick disclaimer, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are provided for informational purposes only and should not be construed as an offer to buy or sell any securities or to make or consider any investment or course of action. For more information, go to bestevershow.com. Hello, best ever listeners. Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Ash Patel, and I'm with today's guest, Brock Mogensen. Brock is joining us from Milwaukee, Wisconsin. He is a full-time real estate investor and has $10 million of assets under management. Brock has also been syndicating deals for almost three years. Brock, thank you for joining us. And how are you today? Doing well. Thanks for having me on. Oh, it's our pleasure, man. Thanks for being here. Hey, before we get started, can you give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and what you're focused on now? Definitely. So got started in real estate a little over three years ago. Started with a house hacks. I bought a duplex, lived in one side, rented out the other, fell in love with everything about real estate and decided this is what I want to do. How am I going to scale this and make it my full-time thing? So from there, I got into the syndication, spent some time learning the underwriting side. And that was kind of my focus still is and partnered with the right people. So about a year after I bought the duplex, we syndicated an 89 unit deal and I've gone on to do five or six more since then. And it's been amazing. In that time, I was able to leave my W-2 job and now just focus 100% on investing in real estate. Man, that sounds easy. Hold on. Let's, let's dive into all this. What were you doing before your house hack or what was your full-time job? I was in a few different roles. I was in marketing, then I was in IT for a while. Most of the time is like in an analyst type role. So it did have some skills that transferred over. I learned how to use a spreadsheet and kind of the analytical side of business. So some of those skills transferred over, but nothing in real estate related in my W-2. What prompted you to start house hacking? So I grew up, my dad owned two duplexes and both my parents worked very blue collar jobs. Growing up, I kind of saw just the power of simply owning four units, the cash flow from four units, what that can change in your lifestyle. So it was kind of just ingrained. I was going to buy a duplex out of college, save up some money and buy a duplex. And I never really had that thought in the beginning that it was going to turn into what it is now. But that initial thought of just simply buying one property was always in my mind. Yeah. So you never meant to scale it. It was just provide some additional income. Exactly. In the beginning, it was more kind of just thought maybe I'll buy a couple of duplexes throughout my life. But after that first deal, I fell in love with real estate and everything it provides. And I realized I got to go all in on this and make it big. 
And then a year later, an 89-unit syndication. Give us the details of how that came together. So my thought process was when I initially started researching syndication, right? There's a ton of different stuff that goes into syndicating a deal. And I knew I didn't have the net worth. I didn't have all the money. I didn't have the investor base. I didn't have a lot of these big pieces of the puzzle. So I figured, let me learn one piece of the puzzle. Then I'll go out and find partners that might be looking for someone on that piece and that are strong in the other areas. So underwriting naturally was kind of where I spent some time learning. Once I became proficient in there, six, seven months later, after just doing everything I can, practicing, looking up as much content as I could, went out, networked a ton, connected with one partner that had the same kind of mindset as me. And then he brought on one of his other buddies that had much more experience and had had been doing it for a while, just hadn't syndicated anything. And us three kind of just went from there and and did that first deal. And they brought the capital, they brought all, all those connections. And I was more on the analysis side. And since then, our partnership has gone great. We've done a ton of deals together. And now I kind of take part in the whole process now. But initially, it was a lot. I figured, let me just learn one piece instead of trying to learn everything in the beginning. All right. You're doing it again. You're making things sound easy. Let's dive in a little deeper. You said, when I started looking into syndications, what prompted you to look into syndications? Really, it was this concept of wanting to go bigger. I realized that the way I was going to scale was by going after bigger deals. And obviously the first thought is I don't have an expendable couple hundred thousand dollars each year to go out and buy a big apartment building. So it came across this concept of syndication, leveraging other people's money to go after bigger deals and just taking a piece of the pie instead of the whole thing. So I came across this subject, caught my attention. I realized this is the way I'm going to scale. And I started thinking about how do I get into this personally with my skill set and what I have to bring to the table? What is the way I can get into this? Brock, how did you educate yourself on syndications? It was really just a ton of podcasts and books. I listened to this podcast quite a bit, just going out and finding everything I could on the internet. I did a few small courses, but never really got into one of the larger mastermind groups. But it was really just going out and putting all the pieces together and pulling information from everywhere I could. There's so much essentially free information out there just through podcasts and books where people, if you really are dedicated, you can learn it. Was part of your to-do list, find partners? Yes. Initially, I wanted to spend some time just learning it. Before I started going out and search for partners, I figured, let me at least have an idea and and kind of know what I'm talking about before I start sitting down with these people. But as soon as I became pretty confident and understanding the process, I was going out and networking a ton and just telling everyone what my goals were. And after a while, I connected with the right person and everything just went from there. Brock, what did you bring to the table? Because you've done a house hack. Why am I going to partner with you on a syndication? It's a great question. It was really me selling these two partners that had much more experience than me that I was going to put in the work. And I did all the analysis on the front end. So I was able to kind of talk through and kind of show what I knew on the front end and then kind of lay out what I was going to bring to the table throughout the entire deal. So I took on a lot of the investor reporting and a lot of the admin duties in the beginning that they saw value in bringing on someone. So You're totally right. As someone who's coming into it with just a duplex and not much money in the bank, it's kind of hard to sell someone that has several hundred units on becoming a partner with them. So it's really obvious you got to learn the ropes first, and then you just got to learn how to sell yourself. I love that, man. You did it. You educated yourself and you made it happen. You got the partners, you talked the talk, you put the work in and did the grunt work, I'm sure, in the beginning. Mm -hmm. What a great recipe for success. So what was your first deal? The first syndication. Yeah, the first one, it was 89 units, class C apartment in Milwaukee. So that was our first big one that we did. And 
There's definitely some learning lessons in there, but it was a, a good first deal to start out with. Is this a deal that the three of you did together or was it in the works when you came into this partnership? Kind of in between. It was a deal that we were looking at for a little while, fell out of contract. So we all kind of had our eyes on it, but they ended up getting under contract and I came aboard right after they got it under contract. So it was kind of a mixture. We all kind of understood the deal, but it was just like we were talking about. I had to kind of sell myself of how I can get on the GP team. And you spearheaded the underwriting? Correct. How the hell did you learn how to do that? <laughs> it was a lot of mostly just practicing. You got to learn the basics of what's NOI, you know, how to categorize expenses, all, all that fun stuff. But once you have that base knowledge, you can go buy a spreadsheet online from one of the operators, or you can build your own. But then I'd literally go on LoopNet every day and I'd find a deal that was in the size range I kind of was looking at. And I would just plug numbers in and I would try to analyze it. And some questions would come up and I'd do some Google searches. And it was a lot of just practicing is the best way. Like anything, I mean, like sports, anything else, the more you practice, the better you're going to get. So pull deals and just try analyzing and see what happens. <laughs> just pure hustle and grind. Absolutely. So were your partners pretty impressed with what you were doing? Yeah, I think on the front end, I definitely spent a lot of time really diving deep into everything to show my value, to show my analytical side and what that was going to bring to the table. Both my partners are more on the sales side. So I think they saw the value in bringing on someone that's analytical. That's really the best sort of partnerships that are created, but it worked out. We'll get back to the show in just two minutes, but first some sponsors I'm confident you'll find value in learning more about. I'd like to introduce you to my good friends over at PassiveInvesting.com, a private equity real estate firm based out of the Carolinas. PassiveInvesting.com makes it easy for you to start investing in real estate. They focus on acquiring institutional quality apartments and self-storage facilities with private accredited investor funds. They also have a real estate debt fund that offers hard money loans to local fix and flippers across the U.S., which currently has a 0% default rate. With a portfolio of over $700 million in assets and controlling over $250 million in equity, they know how to secure the best deals and how to avoid the red flags. If you are interested in learning more, please reach out directly to PassiveInvesting.com and request the free Passive Investing investor guide that outlines the seven red flags for passive apartment and self-storage investing. Visit PassiveInvesting.com forward slash red flags to download that PDF now. That's PassiveInvesting.com forward slash red flags. Mark your calendars for the best ever conference February 24th through 26th back in person at the Gaylord Rockies Convention Center. Join the experienced community and phenomenal speakers for a weekend of learning the best commercial real estate strategies building relationships, and quite frankly, having a lot of fun. As a bonus, once you purchase your ticket, you are put into a mini mastermind group to start making connections with other commercial real estate investors immediately. Get the lowest prices right now at besteverconference.com. That's besteverconference.com. How much did you lean on them for questions or did you try not to bother them? Definitely a lot of questions. I had all the book knowledge and the podcast and all that stuff's great and useful, but it's a lot different than actually doing it. Actual experience can't be replaced by anything, no matter how much knowledge you have. The best knowledge is learned by actually doing it. So yeah, there's a ton of stuff where as we're going through the process and after we buy the deal, some basic stuff that looking back on it, I didn't even know that I was kind of just learning as I went. I had that front end knowledge, but having partners that already had done these deals and bought big apartment complexes, being able to ask them questions and the more deals we've done, it's always a learning process. You're never going to stop learning. It's just a matter of asking the right questions and making sure you understand stuff. Brock, do you remember the numbers on that, the purchase price? Yeah, we were at about three and a half million purchase price. Class C. So what was the renovation amount? 
we ended up renovating most of the units. And that was one of the learning lessons we had on the first deal was always put more money in your reserve account than you think you're going to need. We ended up having to pull from cash flow to do some of that. We ended up doing more renovations than we thought. We didn't quite budget correctly. So that was definitely one of the learning lessons on that property is now whatever amount we think it's going to cost for rehabs and reserves and tenant improvement costs, all that stuff. We throw in an extra 20, 30% in there just as a safety net. Because when you're holding these deals for five to 10 years, it is usually how long you're going to hold these type of deals. Something in your performa is going to go wrong. There's always going to be some water heater you didn't account for or something in the roof. There's always going to be something. COVID comes and you get 10% of your tenants that don't pay rent. There's going to be hurdles along the way. So I'd rather have that safety net in there. And if you don't use it, you just give it back to investors at the end. So that 20, 30% buffer comes from investors. Correct. So you're paying the returns on that money that you're holding. Can you return that early? It's a good question. We haven't done that yet. We do have some properties where we have a ton in there and we haven't used any of it. Potentially, I think we'll look at that as we get further down the road and if it gets to a certain point where it makes sense to distribute back. But so far, we'd rather stay on the conservative approach and just avoid having to do any capital calls. That's the worst case scenario, really, in a syndication is having to go back to investors and ask for more money. So our thought process is we'd rather just have it sitting there. And if the numbers work based on that amount of capital being contributed, then there's no harm in just letting it sit there. Yeah. And in terms of dealing with investors, did you move into that role? Do you interact with investors? Do you try to get new investors on deals? Yes. I've definitely had the more and more deals. I've taken part quite a bit in the capital raising and then I do all the investor reporting. So I'm putting together reports every month to send to investors and tracking the financials. Um, So I take part quite a bit on the asset management side as well. Um, So as well as my partners, we're all kind of contributing in all aspects of the deal. Do you attract investors yourself? Yes. How do you do do that? Trying to do more and more on marketing, social media and email lists and networking events, doing everything I can. I'd say our biggest source of investors has been from networking events. We started a meetup here in our state that's growing to be pretty big and we've attracted quite a bit of investors through that. So we put quite a bit of time into marketing those events and just bringing as many people as we can into our funnel and letting them know what we're working on and seeing if they're interested. Brock, what's a hard lesson you learned about interacting with investors? That's a good question. I think really just being upfront with investors and letting them know kind of where you're at and not exaggerating things. We're very upfront about some of the learning lessons we've had on deals. We don't try to hide stuff. We'll lay it all out there and say, you know, this is what we've learned. We made some mistakes here. And we'll kind of show some performance on some of our other deals. And I think being transparent with investors is the biggest thing instead of trying to hide stuff that they're probably going to eventually find out anyways. Be transparent on the front end. And I think that goes a long way with building rapport. What's a hard lesson you learn about having partners? Well, I'd say dividing work sometimes and kind of figuring out what everyone's strong suit is. I think the best partnerships are obviously people that have different strong suits and kind of come together to create this partnership. So if you can divide certain tasks to say, you're better at this task, I'm better at this one, let's just kind of take these paths and go. Sometimes that can get challenging because there can be certain tasks where maybe you both think you should work on, but it's better to just have one person. So I think that's always going to be a struggle is defining those roles. And eventually when you get to a point when you can start hiring employees, you can delegate more of those tasks. I think that becomes easier, but on the front end, that can get difficult sometimes. Have you read the book, Who Not How? Not. I've heard of it though. All right. So if you have partners that have the who, not how mentality, where they try to offload things, have you ran into that where they offload something and you don't want to deal with it? You don't like dealing with it. How do you deal with that? It's a good question. I would say in the beginning, 
that was probably something that happened where there might've been some tasks, but again, I was kind of coming in, showing myself and saying, I'm going to do all these tasks and do everything. So I think as in the beginning, there was definitely some things where it's like, I don't really want to do this, but I know I have to do it because I have to prove my value. Now that we've done more and more deals together, it's all even. We all kind of put the same amount of work in and been able to hire some virtual assistants now. So we're able to delegate some of those tasks. As you're growing, there's still going to be stuff you don't want to do. You can't outsource everything. So that there are those days where it's like, I don't really want to do this, but I know I have to do it. So it's not, hey, Brock will do it. That doesn't linger from the early days. I'll just give it to Brock. Brock will handle it. No, I would say it's pretty even now. Obviously, there's certain tasks where it's like it makes sense, like the reporting stuff and some of the admin stuff where I'm the one that's kind of manning that stuff. It just naturally makes sense for me to do it, even though it might be a more of a mundane task. That's my role. And that's what I'm doing where they're bringing in more of the capital. So that's obviously a huge value add on that side. Yeah. Brock, what's the hardest lesson you've learned in real estate in general? And I'm talking about a tough lesson, a hard lesson, one that beat you down. I would say really going back to that first deal we did, we had a few learning lessons there. I think it really changed our business plan of wanting to not necessarily targeting C-class properties anymore. We've had quite a bit of struggles there where we didn't budget correctly on the front end, ended up having to evict much more tenants than we thought, which led to more unit turn costs. Then once we get all that figured out, we're finally in a good place and hitting our performa. COVID decides to hit and we have 10 tenants walk in and say, they're not going to pay rent. We can't do anything about it. So then we had to kind of go back to the drawing board on that and figure out a way to get out of that. We had to work with some local community programs to get funding to cover some of that. So there was definitely a ton of learning lessons on that first deal. And I think it's just a matter of there's always going to be learning lessons on every deal and just taking that and making sure you don't make the same mistake again. Yeah, that's a tough position to be in. It feels like the walls are caving in on you. We'll get back to the show in just two minutes, but first, some sponsors I'm confident you'll find value in learning more about. Let me ask you a question. Do you want to start your own syndication business, or maybe you've tried, but you've been unable to get your first apartment deal? Well, it's hard. I know firsthand getting started in syndication is not easy. So have you considered working with a mentor? Imagine working one-on-one with a full-time syndicator who can help you do your first apartment building deal faster, help you avoid big mistakes, and scale your portfolio. If you feel like I'm speaking to you right now, then I want you to check out the mentoring program from my friend, Michael Blanc, who specializes in helping people get started with apartment buildings. I've known Michael for many years now, and he genuinely wants to help people become financially free. He developed a proven system and has helped hundreds of people do their first apartment building deal. I know he can help you as well. To find out more, text the word Joe. J-O-E, to 66866. I know Michael's going to take care of you. Go ahead and text the word Joe, J-O-E, to 66866. Do it right now while it's fresh on your mind, and let's get you started with your own apartment syndication business. Deals and money. We are constantly seeking deals and money as real estate investors, and I bet you're having a challenge right now, especially with deals, if you're like most real estate investors, because it's tough to find deals right now. But here's the thing. There's a competitive advantage out there that when implemented, it will help you accomplish your objective of getting more deals and or getting more investors. And that is having a great follow-up system. Having a great follow-up is one of the keys to success in real estate. And Follow-Up Boss is the leading CRM for real estate. This is the system you need in place so you can reach out to owners and brokers directly 
directly for deals or you can follow up with your investors and you do it all in one spot. The CRM makes it 10 times faster to call and text owners, then integrates those into a software so nothing slips through the cracks. The follow-up boss conversion system and powerful management tools help align your methods and drive growth that otherwise it could have been missed and probably would have been missed. Go to followupboss.com forward slash best ever to get a system in place. And if you need help, they got you covered. Follow-up boss offers experts seven days a week. You can pick up the phone and speak to an actual human being anytime during business hours. Visit followupboss.com forward slash best ever to check out how much time you could save by streamlining your follow-up process. Best ever listeners, they're treating you extra special. You get an extended 30-day free trial, twice the length of the normal trial. For a limited time, go to followupboss.com forward slash best ever and perfect your follow-up. What were some of the issues with, you said, class C properties? Was it the tenants or was it the renovations? The tenants, I would say. Really, I think it's just there's good deals. I think right now, especially even the C-class deals are trade. The cap rate difference between a C deal and a B deal, really not that much different nowadays. And I think personally, I'd rather pay a little bit more, have a little bit less of a return on a B-class deal on the front end and cash flow to kind of, to know it's just going to be a more smooth on the management side. And generally the B-class, you might, it's going to be easier to exit those sort of properties. Yeah. The $3.5 million property, is that a close proximity to where you guys are? deal size we're looking at now. So no, we, no, uh, location wise, sorry. We're greater Milwaukee area. So okay. my partner's management company is right outside Milwaukee and our radius of Milwaukee is kind of our target zone. Got it. And what advice do you have now in managing C-class tenants? Really keeping a pulse on everything in the property, looking at the numbers daily, even and having some sort of KPI report. So we learned to really track collections and seeing and stay in touch with our on-site manager there to understand. We have a call with them each week to understand where are we at? We're only at 80% collected and it's the 15th of the month. Give us a list of those 10 tenants that haven't paid yet. What's the status? You really have to keep a pulse, especially in that space where they might not care as much about their credit. So if they don't pay for a few months, they're not too worried about it as long as they can get away with it. I think really collection is a big part of that and managing expenses as well. So tracking KPIs every day on a weekly basis, at least, and looking at the numbers and talking to your property management company to make sure we're doing everything we can to hit Performa. That's the key, I think. Yeah. Do you remember what the total renovation cost was on that property? We've put at least 200 grand into renovations. In the beginning, we were flipping units and kind of putting in the LVP flooring and everything. Now that we've realized there's not as much of a rent bump there that's worth it for those costs, we've kind of trimmed down some of those unit flip costs, which has helped. But yeah, there was a few other items where we put in new lighting, we updated the camera system. So stuff like that, that we did budget for on the front end, but the unit turn costs are really something that they usually are going to be more expensive. It's going to be, especially now with supply costs going up, labor costs going up five, 6% a year. You have to account for that and assume it's going to be more expensive than you think. Yeah. I'm glad to hear that you guys pivoted and changed how you renovate the units. If you're not getting the returns that you anticipated, why continue super improving properties? Exactly. Yeah, that's a great lesson. How long is the hold on this property? We were targeting a seven-year hold on that property. So we're about two and a half years in. So we'll get a few more years before we start looking at exit. Why seven versus five or less? So a lot of it has to do with the loan structure. So we use agency debt on that. So there is a prepayment penalty all the way up until year seven. So even if someone were to come in today and say, hey, you will pay a million dollars more than you bought it for, 
if you look at their prepayment penalty, it's really not going to make sense. So that's, I think, one of the downsides to working with agency debt is they almost always are going to have a high prepayment penalty unless you structure it a different way. But that's where it really doesn't make sense. Maybe when we get year five, year six, it might make a little bit more sense if you look at the prepayment penalty, but it's a 10-year note. At year seven, the prepayment goes away. So we do have a nice three-year window there to sell. But that's the main thing is looking at debt and deciding when it makes sense. One of the benefits of working with local banks is a lot of times there's no prepayment penalty. Is that prepayment penalty stared where it gets reduced each year? Not in our structure, no. It's all just based on what's owed. What's the penalty? We have to pay out all the interest owed up oh. until up until year seven. So if you look at the numbers and we're in year three, got it, got it. four years of interest is a lot of money. Is that loan assumable? That is a good route and a good question. Yes, we do have the option to assume it. And we've kind of looked at exploring for some people that have looked at and made us some soft offers. We've kind of tossed that out there. I think most investors don't like to assume a loan, especially with interest rates have gone down probably a hundred basis points. We're at like four and a quarter, I think on that deal where now you, know, you can get money in the 2% range now. So it's pretty big jump down there where a lot of investors are like, no, I want to get my own loans. I know I can get much better terms. So I think it just adds a little bit more hair on trying to sell some on the deal early. Yeah. How much did you have to put down? That deal, I think our total capital raise was 830 grand. So we, we did 80% LTV on that deal. Awesome. Brock, what is your best real estate investing advice ever? Ooh, I think thinking big. A lot of people get into real estate, just assume the only way to get deals done is to save money and buy a deal. But just think big and think creative. There's a million different ways in real estate to structure a deal. And you can get creative on a lot of these deals and, and get into some larger deals with less money out of pocket than you might think. Great advice. Brock, are you ready for the best ever lightning round? Let's do it. Let's do it. Brock, what's the best ever book you recently read? Somewhat recently. I, I like some of the mindset books. I read 10X Rule and got it here in my background, actually. I like that book for mindset and kind of thinking big. What was your big takeaway from that? Just that whatever your mindset is right now, whatever your goals are set at, you can think much larger and to just grow how you're thinking. That really was a huge pivot point for me, kind of looking back at some of the goals I had three years ago when I was first starting compared to the goals I've set now, they're just so much larger. Brock, what's the best ever way you like to give back? I would say providing people with the education of learning real estate. Uh, I get on a ton of calls a lot of times with people just kind of explain how real estate works by talking to my friends about it and kind of showing them the basics and getting them to get out and investing in real estate. That's, I'd say at this point, the way I'm giving back most is through education. I have some bigger goals down the road, but that's where I'm at right now. And Brock, how can the best ever listeners reach out to you? Yeah. So I try to post quite a bit on Instagram, real estate stuff. So that's just that Brock Mogensen. My email is brock at smartassetcapital.com. And our website is smartassetcapital.com. And we have some free downloadable templates there and some different eBooks. Brock, I got to thank you again for your time today. It's hard to believe that it was only three years ago that you started a house hack. And now you're doing syndications, but you worked your way into this partnership. You hustled, you put the grind in. I love your story. So thank you for joining us today. Thanks for having me on, Ash. Awesome. Best ever listeners. Thank you for joining us and have a best ever day.